the first thing Trudy said, she said, I want to open up the floor. And Sarah and Melva, we were the two African-Americans at the meeting that morning. And she said, I would like for you all to talk about what life is like being African-American in America. Look, guess who that is? Granddaddy. Yes, Granddaddy Wilbert, yes. And that's Miss Virginia. And that's Poppy. We just opened up and we just started talking about our experiences, talking about our parents' experiences. We talked about how we went to segregated schools, all black children, all black teachers, administration, everything. They talked about integration. They really didn't bring the white kids into the school. They brought in white teachers in an all African-American environment. We used to walk to Garfield Park at lunchtime. And a friend and I were walking one day and we were walking through the neighborhoods on the south side and this guy comes out on his porch and he calls us the N-word. You better get out of this neighborhood if you know if you know what's good for you. And we took off running because we had never encountered anything like that. We had to deliberately learn to integrate and assimilate into this big society. The ladies were all ears. They were listening. And then afterwards, the floor was opened up for everyone else, you know, and they were so candid as we were. And they were like, but you know, we must have lived a sheltered life because we don't know. We didn't, we didn't know anything. We were appalled at some of the stories that we were hearing of how they were treated. We learned so much because most all of us went to school, white schools only. Uh, we didn't know anyone. They wanted to learn what we had gone through and experienced in our lives, but at the same time, they wanted to listen and they wanted to share their life. In my ear, I heard my father's words and he was in World War II, but I remember him saying, the reason I went was because no one should be treated the way those people were being treated. And I thought, that's right, no one should be treated the way our black brothers and sisters are being treated. And I can't go off to war, but I can go and pray. You would be surprised at the knowledge that you will gain just by spending time with someone of a, of a diverse background. They don't know your story and you don't know theirs, but it's okay. And you know, we're all the same. And we've all been commanded by the word to love one another. Love, love one another. Hey, can we give it up for Melva and that group? Hey, uh, that is uh, not an easy thing to do, to put yourself out there on a video, believe me. And uh, I'm just uh, so grateful for all those ladies sharing the relationship that they have in their group. And that's really what we want for you as well. And uh, if you are not in a group, we want to encourage you uh, to find one. We would love to help you with that. You can go to this uh, link uh, right here on the screen. And uh, we would love just to uh, get you connected into a group, And I just want to welcome uh, our entire Traders Point Church family. Those of you watching online, we've got some of our own team and family members right here in the room here at Northwest. Can we make some noise? It's okay. 
Let them know both here live and on the chat. I'm really, really grateful if uh, you joined us today. Maybe somebody invited you. Maybe somebody shared a link with you and you clicked on it. And we're thrilled that you would do that. And I just want to encourage you uh, to not watch this service alone. And if you happen to be alone right now, that's no judgment call. I just want to encourage you to get together with some other people, both today and uh, in the coming weekends. Uh, maybe it's uh, some friends or a group or your family. Uh, maybe uh, host a watch party of some kind. Uh, because uh, it's not just about the content that you personally receive. What makes church so powerful is that mutual encouragement that we all need. Uh, from one another. So I want to encourage you to get together with some others. Today we are continuing on in this message series that we have been in now uh, for a few weeks uh, in the Gospel of Luke called Settled in Spirit. And really what we've been doing is just walking through the Gospel of Luke. There are four biographies of Jesus' life and ministry at the beginning of the New Testament. And uh, each one of those individuals gave their um, a perspective of who Jesus was for very specific reasons so that we might come to know him better. And so Matthew writes for a certain group of people through a certain lens. And so does Mark. And so does John. And so does Luke. And we've said this, that, that Luke is the gospel primarily for skeptics. Like if you've ever had questions, if you've ever been struggling to find some hope, if you've ever been on the outside looking in wondering if you would be included, if you've ever wondered how a good God could allow a bad year like 2020, then Luke is the gospel for you. And he states the purpose of his writing in the first few verses where he says, I have taken the time to put together a well-ordered account so that a friend of his... We don't know a lot about him. There's a guy named Theophilus. He said, Theophilus, I want you to come to be certain of the truth that you have heard of who Jesus is. And that tells me something about Theophilus, that he was troubled, that he had an unsettled spirit, that he had some questions that he didn't have answers to, that he was looking for some hope, that he was wondering if he would be included. And Luke says, I, I want you to come to believe this truth. So we are in the gospel of Luke, allowing his words about Jesus to settle our unsettled spirits. You know, uh, when my wife and I first started dating, uh, she wanted to introduce me to her family. And she said, I really want you to meet my grandparents. And uh, we got together with them. Uh, their names were Hollis and Nina. Actually, Hollis and Nina watch every week. So I just want to give a great big shout out to Hollis and Nina. Can we give them a hand? Or I just say hello to Hollis and Nina. But uh, love them like my own grandparents. And I remember meeting them for the first time. And uh, he, he shared with me, they shared with me their story. And uh, they had just gotten married. He had come back from the Korean War. And he built a chicken house in his backyard. And that chicken house turned into a business. And that business, some 50 some odd years later, turned into to be one of the top egg producers in the nation. And uh, I wanted to learn everything I could from him just about leadership and what made him so successful. And I remember sitting down with Hollis one day and I said, Hollis, you know, Tell me all the, the things you know about leadership. Like how did you grow this thing from one chicken house in your backyard to being one of the top egg producers in the nation? I'll never forget what he said. He said, Aaron, to be successful, he said, in the egg industry, he goes, you got to know a little bit about chickens. That makes sense. Thank you. you gotta know, you got to know a little bit about eggs. you got to know a little bit about agriculture. And then he said, you got to know a whole lot about people. Because people matter. And that made a big impact on me as a young man. I, that was not what I was expecting him to say. Like, how are you successful in the egg industry? And he said, well, because people matter. But he's right. 
See, listen, it doesn't matter who you are or what you do for a living. It doesn't matter if you own a business or you work for someone who owns the business. It doesn't matter if you're a stay-at-home mom or dad. It doesn't matter if you're a teacher or a plumber. Listen, people matter. People matter to God. Therefore, they ought to matter to you and to me. Now, here's the problem with that statement. Can anybody guess it? People are messy. Can I get a good amen? All right. People are divisive. Like people have a different opinion and perspective than you. People will hurt you. And so it's really hard to hold on to that truth that people matter because people can also be the thing in life that that can be so painful. But I, I want to bring us back to this reality and this truth that people matter. And we need to be reminded of it both as individuals and as a church now more than ever because we live in an environment right now in which anxiety is high and morale is low. We live in an environment right now where um, it's like we have to be physically distant from each other. And so that makes relationship, that makes empathy, that makes compassion really hard because we end up like just communicating via a screen or a keyboard and we dehumanize one another. And we got to come back to this reality, this truth that people really do matter. And as we come to Luke chapter 5, Jesus is going to reinforce this truth in a really unexpected way. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and turn with me. Those in the room, those online, if you don't have one, I'll put the verses up on the monitor next to me. Starting off in verse 1, it says, One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. And he noticed... Uh, Two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds from there. So I just want you to get the scene. Jesus is on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and he's uh, teaching. And a whole bunch of people showed up. And people in the back were having trouble hearing him. And so Jesus didn't have a, a headset mic like what I've got on right now. Uh, Jesus did the next best thing. He found that Simon Peter, who he knew, who was a fisherman, had just come in from the night fishing and his boats were right there. So he, he, he borrows one. He gets into it, says, hey, push me out just a little bit. And he pushes out. And Jesus is using the, the water of the Sea of Galilee as his PA system. And he's beginning to, to teach the people. And Simon and his uh, fishing business partners had just come in from a long night of fishing and they had not caught a single thing. Now, if you are just fishing for fun, that's just a real downer. If you are fishing for your livelihood, that's devastating. Like this is the equivalent of zero income. Like this is more than just a downturn in the economy. This is like nothing. Like they've, they have nothing to show for it. And so they're in a bad mood. Like they're washing their nets. I always get this image in my mind when I read this passage of that scene from Forrest Gump. You remember? Where Forrest is out on the shrimping boat with Lieutenant Dane. And he like, they're all excited and they pull up the nets. And what comes out? There's like a tin can and a shoe and a toilet seat. And this is like the image that I get. Peter and his buddies are like sitting there like, we, we got nothing. And we're washing the nets and they're in a bad mood. And it says in verse 4, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Now this is 
I don't know, it's kind of unusual. I mean, Jesus is like preaching a sermon and then all of a sudden he just stops. I don't know if it's because he thought that it wasn't a very good sermon, which believe me, I've been there before. Lots. Like I said, I just want to stop and just change the subject. Or maybe what Jesus had been teaching on, he wants to illustrate and he sees this as a perfect opportunity. But he says to Simon, hey, why, hey, why, don't, why don't you go out again? Why don't you get in the boat? Why don't you go out where it's deeper and let down the nets, the nets you've been cleaning. Why don't you let those down and get them dirty again? And Peter shows his irritation. Look at this. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. Do you catch the exasperation in his voice? He is irritated and he is tired and he's frustrated. They have been working all night long. I mean, he's a professional fisherman. He knows what he's doing. And the Sea of Galilee was chock full of fish. It was one of the top industries in Palestine. And yet they hadn't caught anything. And now Jesus is asking him to dirty his nets again. Now, it was no small task to wash nets. These were large, massive fishing nets. And I'm sure that he was ready just to get them all cleaned up, stored away. And they were going to go to, you know, Cracker Barrel or something and, and get good breakfast before they were going to go home and take it easy for the day. This is like the last thing that he wants to do. And add insult to injury because... Jesus was not a professional fisherman. I would imagine that Simon had this internal dialogue going on in his mind. Like, what do you know about fishing? You are a carpenter turned teacher. Like, I don't, I don't come into your shop and tell you how to make a table and chairs. Like, why don't you just leave the fishing to me, Jesus? And I don't think you really know what you're talking about anyway, because right now isn't a good time of day to catch fish. And everybody knows you don't catch fish in the deeper end. You catch fish along the shore, Jesus. But Simon decides to go ahead and kind of go along with it. And, and check out what he says next. He says this. He goes, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. But I got a question for you. When, when do you break that phrase out? Hey, hey, married couples. When do you break the phrase out, if you say so? The, the answer to that, you're afraid to say. The answer to that is, is when you're tired of arguing. Like it's when you're tired of having the conversation. It's sort of like sarcasm that's kind of been worked into an insincere sort of agreement. So I'll give you an example. The two of you get lost. He swears that he's not lost. And he says, I'm not lost. The reason why it's taking us so long to get there is because traffic's so bad. And she says, if you say so. Yeah, that, that's where you break that phrase out. Peter's like, hey, Jesus. Like, we're not going to catch anything. We're, we're done for the day. Like, I'm a professional. I know what I'm doing. But if you say so, I'll go ahead and go back out. He kind of reluctantly trusts Jesus with this. And check out what happens in verse 6. It says, And this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. Now these are heavy industrial nets. Like this is what they were made for. Like these nets didn't tear. But there's so much fish in them, they begin to, to tear. And, and that shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And as soon as... And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. Once again, these boats are made for fishing. These are heavy-duty fishing boats. They don't sink, but they had caught so many fish that that's what was happening. And Peter's response to all of this is not necessarily what you would expect. It says, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and he said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Now, this just isn't the response that you would expect. 
I thought about that this, this week as I was studying this. I just tried to, to put myself into Simon's position. And I thought, you know, if, if this would have been me, I think my response would have been maybe one of two things. I think I maybe would have tried to play it off a little bit. I, try, I would have tried to protect my pride. Maybe said something along the lines of, hey, Jesus, uh, you know, beginner's luck. You know, hey, th- thanks for the tip, but anybody can get lucky. Or, hey, you know what, where we cast down, that was a pretty popular fishing spot. I was saving that for later. I knew we would catch some fish there. Like he could have tried to mask some of that. Or, or you could have gone the other way. He could have just been ecstatic. He could have been celebrating and so happy and be like, hey, Jesus, what are you doing next Tuesday? Can you go with us out fishing? Because we need another haul like this in order to finish out the quarter well. But he doesn't do any of that. Instead, Simon, he falls to his knees. And his first response is to say, Jesus, leave me. I'm a sinful man. Like there's a a glimpse there of Simon's heart. There's a glimpse of real humility and authenticity there where he recognized who he was standing face to face with. And Jesus wasn't just another rabbi. Jesus wasn't just another carpenter. Jesus was the son of God and Simon could see it. And his response standing in his presence was humility. And it's a beautiful, beautiful picture of this word. I don't know how you feel about this word, but it's this word called repentance. And I don't know, repentance oftentimes, it's kind of a scary word, kind of a churchy word. I don't know about you. I've spent a a lot of my life kind of turned off by the word repentance because people oftentimes use it as a weapon rather than what it's meant to be, an invitation. It's an invitation to actually take a load off. I remember uh, about 12 years ago, I was doing some speaking in Southern California and I always like to to take either one of my kids or my wife with me when I travel. And I I took my son at the time, he was five, and we flew into LAX. It's been a long day. Uh, he wasn't used to flying that much, and due to the time change, it was, it was, uh, uh, his body clock was all off, and we, had to, we got the rental car, we drove about an hour, hour and a half to the hotel, get there after dark, and he's like falling asleep, but we get out of the car, and he had a, a suitcase, a full backpack, like a, a, um, a pillow, and a stuffed animal, and all this stuff that he was like his, you know, like his Game Boy, and all the stuff that he was carrying, and uh, we uh, load him up in the parking lot, and he's like kind of falling asleep. And I'm like, hey, buddy, you need me to carry all your stuff into the hotel room? And he like kind of woke up. He's like, no, daddy, I got it. Completely self-sufficient. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. All right. And so, so I'm like, all right. So I lock the car. We're walking to the hotel room. He's like following me. And I keep looking to check behind me. And he's kind of falling further and further back because he's struggling. And he's trying to carry everything. And like his suitcase tips over. And he's, and he's starting to doze off again. And I'm like, hey, Connor, you need me to help you with this stuff? And he's like, no, daddy, I can do it. And we get to the hotel room, unlock the door. We walk in. Before he can even get across the room to the bed, he slumps over on the couch and just completely falls asleep. Backpack still on, still holding his pillow, got his Game Boy, got his suitcase behind him. And I walked over and I, one by one, just took off all the stuff that he was holding on to and the backpack that was loading him down and the suitcase that he had been dragging. And I just freed him up from all that stuff. And I just picked up my little boy and walked him over to the bed. And can I say that when God uses that, when you see that word repentance, that that's what that's an invitation to? Can I give you this definition? That repentance is an invitation to lay down that load you're carrying, that load of of shame that you've been carrying around for a really, really long time. 
Those words that people said to you that really penetrated into your heart and soul and it's wounded you deeply. That judgment that you feel, that self-condemnation. When God says repent, he says, hey, that's an invitation to lay down that load that I don't want you to carry anymore. Jesus would say it so well in Matthew chapter 11. He would say, come to me all you who are weary and burdened. I am gentle and humble in heart and I'll give you rest for your souls. And this is what Simon Peter has just experienced. And I loved Jesus' response to Simon's repentance. Look at what he says. Jesus replied, don't be afraid. Of all the things that Jesus could have said to him, he could have said, it's about time. He could have said, you know, shame on you. He could have said, you know, you need to do some things to get your act together. No, he says, no, don't be afraid. I've seen your heart. Thank you for laying that down. Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. He gives him a mission. He gives him a new life direction. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. And I love this so much because when Jesus sees Simon's heart and he sees that it's pure and he sees that it's repentant, he says, okay, now I'm ready to use you. I'm ready to use you on mission. And Jesus, the mission that he gave him, he says, I want you to, I want you to fish for people. Now, what does this all mean for you and for me today? See, this is the part of Bible study where we look at it, where we, we read the text and we say, okay, what does the text mean? And now we say, well, how do I apply it? What's God saying to me out of this text? And this is where you might be saying, okay, well, that's awesome for Simon, but what does this mean for me? I mean, does this mean I'm supposed to, you know, go quit my job and go into full-time vocational ministry? No, that's not what this means. In fact, I would say that for most of you, that's not what this means. For a few of you, that might mean what this means. I would say this, that if you've given your life to Jesus, here's the first step of application. It's a reminder that following Jesus is your priority. Following Jesus is your priority. Making money is great. It's not your priority. You can make money and still follow Jesus, but Jesus, following Jesus is your priority. Having status, nothing wrong with that. Just as long, you're still following Jesus. Like it doesn't matter what you do, who you are, what you do for a living. You're, you, Jesus has captured your heart. You say, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of following after him. He is my priority. Some of you might say, well, Aaron, that's really easy for you to talk about as a pastor because that's like, kind of like what you do for a living. But you need to understand that we're not allowed to talk about religion at work. And I would say, good, Jesus doesn't want you to talk about religion at work either. And the reason why is this definition, if you've been around here long enough, you've heard me say it, is that religion, what that means is the effort that I give to justify myself to God. And this in every way is toxic, both to your spiritual growth and to the development of people around you. What Jesus has invited us into is a relationship, meaning the effort that Jesus has already given to reconcile you and me back to God. And that is a complete game changer in every way. And Jesus says to Peter, he goes, now listen, I want you to go fish for people with that message. Fish for people. Like, what's that mean? It's like Simon's supposed to like run around, like throw a net over a whole bunch of people and like drag them to church. No, that's not what that means. Although it'd be kind of funny to see. No, what he's saying is, is that Simon, the fishing industry used to be your priority. Now people are. And listen, by the way, you could continue to be a fisherman. In fact, Simon would later on become a fisherman as well. He would continue to pick up fishing. But it wasn't the number of fish that he was bringing in every day. It was that he recognized that through the fishing industry, people were his priority. And that's the application for you and for me. Listen, it doesn't matter who you are, what you do for a living, what your line of work is. It doesn't matter if you're a stay-at-home mom or dad. It doesn't matter if you're a teacher or a plumber. People are your priority. Why? Because people matter. People matter to God. And people, yeah, go ahead. Don't just give a half clap. Let me hear it from you in the, in the chat. 
people matter. All kinds of people. And it's easy to say, well, yeah, pe people. It's easy to say that whenever you've got a lot in common with those people. But it's even the people you don't have a lot in common with. Those are the people that matter too. And listen, we live in an environment right now where we need to be reminded of this now more than ever. See, one of the things about this pandemic that is so frustrating is that due to physical distancing, it's also distance our empathy for other people. It's easy to, when you're not, when you don't have to be, it's amazing what we'll say to people through a screen or a keyboard we would never say to their face. Because face to face, you have empathy. Face to face, you have compassion. Face to face, you can say, hey, we can talk about this. But over a keyboard, when anxiety is high and morale is low, oh man, we'll say things that we would never say to somebody's face. And we are just a few short weeks away from a really divisive election. Right now, we need to be reminded, Traders Point family, that people matter. All kinds of people. They matter. They matter more than my position. They matter more than my preferences. They certainly matter more than my political convictions. And I'm not saying those things aren't important. I'm just saying that they should never trump people. People are the most important thing. See, uh, in the midst of an environment like we're living right now where things are just uh, abnormal and, and challenging, that's easy to forget. And as a church family, I just want to lead us back to our mission now more than, than ever. See, we, we will oftentimes say around here that we'll do anything short of sin to get people to Jesus. I, I've said this from this platform before that I love the book of Jude where it says, snatch others from the fire. And it's this whole idea that I want to be on the front lines. That One day when I go to heaven and I meet Jesus, I want him to go, man, you smell like smoke, Brockett. Because you were so close to people, right on the front lines of people that needed my love more than ever. And can I just say, in the midst of crisis and pandemic, that oftentimes it's easy to lose sight of this because we're tired and we're weary and we're irritated. A lot like a, some sleepless fishermen on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. That Jesus had to bring their attention back to what he had died for. And what I want to do as your pastor is to humbly bring our attention back to that as well. Can I just say over the last few months, this has been hands down the most challenging leadership season of my life. And I'm not bemoaning it. I'm actually grateful for it because I think that God's making us better. I think that God's showing us maybe what we had fallen asleep to, some things that we needed to be more aware of. And I believe that the church is going to roar back from this stronger than ever because we're a city on a hill, a light that cannot be extinguished. And now, right now, is the time for us to get stirred up together to say, hey, listen, we are not going to let the enemy divide us. We're not going to let the enemy cause us to be fearful. We're going to run to the front lines with the love and the hope of Jesus Christ. And people are hurting right now. We hear all kinds of stats about a virus but I want to give you some other stats that show you that there's people that are hurting in more ways than just a sickness. People are hurting emotionally and mentally. Do you know that calls to the National Mental Health Hotline have increased this year by a thousand percent? Did you know that child abuse reports have decreased 24% in Indiana this year from last year? And that, but that doesn't mean that child abuse has decreased. It means that reports have decreased which should be alarming because everything tells me child abuse has actually increased, but because either kids aren't in school or church or other public places, there aren't eyes on to actually see it happening to report it. That should be scary. 
Did you know that by the end of June 2020, domestic violence cases were up 16% compared to last year? Did you know that deaths due to domestic violence have increased 86% and they contribute the cause to the COVID crisis that we're in? Did you know that Families First Indiana had a 54% increase in calls regarding suicide between March and June of this year compared to last year? Marion County had a 138% increase in calls related to suicide from March 13 to April 18th this year. And the National Alliance on Mental Illness Helpline has seen a 65% increase in calls and emails since March. And my inbox has been full too. Of people reaching out to me, messaging me, angry, fearful, losing hope, addicted, falling back into things that they thought that they had left in the rearview mirror. People are hurting. And back at the beginning of this crisis, our team kind of had sort of like four kind of underlying principles that we said, hey, this is just going to kind of help us guide our decision making through crisis. And I want to share them with you. The first principle is we just said, hey, listen, we believe the church is essential to our community. We do not believe that the church is a social club or an extracurricular activity. We believe we're essential to the spiritual, mental, and even physical needs of people. Most importantly, we're trying to get people to Jesus. That's what we're trying to do. And that is essential. And uh, I'm really thankful that our governor uh, stated that really early on in this crisis. Number two is we will be responsible, but we will never be fearful. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Number three is that we will serve our city through this crisis. And we have, and I want to thank you for that. Guys, your generosity has completely humbled me. And your willingness to step up and say, we'll serve, has been amazing. And so we've served food and we've given away masks and donated blood and we've reached out to foster families in need and we will continue to meet the needs of our city around us. And then lastly, we believe crisis always creates opportunity. Winston Churchill said it best. He's like, never waste a crisis. And we haven't. And it's amazing. I would say this is that what crisis does is it's an accelerator. It just accelerates everything. And so our team was on track to actually start a digital campus. And we were sort of trying to innovate all that. And I would say that in the last six months, we've actually increased all of our digital capabilities by probably about six years. And uh, we've continued to innovate and we're not going to backtrack on any of that stuff. Digital has been the front door of our church for the past seven or eight years. All this crisis has done is made that front door bigger. And I bumped into a lot of people around town that have just come up to me and said, hey, we've never been to your church, but we've joined you online and we can't wait to come back whenever you open up again. And I believe that God is reaching more and more people through this. But we, but listen, I'm so thankful for digital, but it is not an, a replacement for face-to-face. And for 2,000 years, one of the defining marks of the church is that it's gathered. It's gathered through dark days and brighter days. It's gathered through famine and persecution and plague. The church gathers because there's kind of a Holy Spirit kind of power that happens when you gather with other people and you mutually encourage one another. And so those four guiding principles have sort of been there to kind of help us navigate through crisis. And those have also been the four principles that have helped us as we've tried to figure out, okay, what what do we do kind of moving into the fall? And I want you to know that after lots and lots of prayer and discussion and counsel with uh, experts, uh, we've decided uh, on a date. And so on Sunday, September the 20th, we are gonna reopen our campuses physically, uh, all four of our campuses for worship services on September the 20th. 
And uh, some of you might be like thinking, well, you know, why September 20th? You know, like, why not next week? And I'd be like, I'm right there with you. But uh, the reason why September 20th is because uh, we need to recruit and just get all of our team members up to speed. And so uh, I want this to be a great experience. Now, a number of you have asked me, it's like, will it, will it be safe? Yes, it's going to be safe. We've got our whole plan uh, on tpcc.org slash regatherings. You can actually go to that link and just check it out. We'll continue to update it. Uh, I believe that we, we can do this, right? We can do this. This can be a safe experience, but a great experience for people who are hurting. And people who are far from God and need to know Jesus. And so we need the next few weeks to recruit and train volunteers. So listen, when you get the email, when you get the phone call, would you please be willing to say yes? Man, I'll come back. We'll get trained. We're going to make this a great experience for people that have maybe never been on one of our campuses. Can I also say that there may be a number of you that are not ready to come back physically for a number of reasons. And I want you to know we 100% get that, we understand it, and we support you. And that's why online is not going away. It's just going to continue to get better. I want to encourage you to stay engaged online, stay engaged in your group until one day when you may be ready to come back. But for the rest of us, can I just say right now more than ever, we need to be unified behind the name and the person of Jesus Christ. We need to come together to be that city on a hill, to be a light in a dark, dark world. And I am 100% confident that on the other side of this, we're gonna look back and say, God, we never wanna go through that again, but thank you. Thank you for the way you sustained us. Thank you for the way that you worked. Thank you for the lives that you changed. Thank you for the way that you deepened my faith. And I can't wait for that. So lastly, I just wanna say, if there's anybody watching on the other side of that screen, And you're like, you know what? I never knew that it wasn't a religion. I never really knew that it was a relationship. I never knew it was like that. Can I just say that there's a God who wants to take the load off? He just wants to take off that baggage that you've been wearing for so long. And he wants to give you hope and new life through his son, Jesus. And today, if you would like somebody to follow up with you, just to help you walk through what those next steps are into investigating a relationship with Jesus, we'd love to talk to you. You can go to this link right here. And somebody would love to follow up with you. What I like to do is I like for those in the room and those online, if you're in a place where you can, just go ahead and stand to your feet. I wanna pray over us today as we bring our time together to a close. Father, we come to you right now and I thank you so much for the gospel of Luke, the gospel for skeptics, because there's a skeptic in me and I'm sure there's a skeptic in most people wondering, you know, can we really believe this stuff? Is there really a God like that? Is there really hope? And the answer is a resounding yes. So God, today, I pray that if there's somebody who is ready to give their life to you, we celebrate that with them right now. And for the rest of us, may we bring our eyes back to maybe where we had drifted during this crisis, that people really do matter. And God, make us fishers of men, that people would be our priority as we seek to live out the grace that you've given to us so that people might be ready to hear the truth that you provide. And we ask this right now in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. Amen.